Hi, you're listening to the Professionals Playbook. My name is Justin Lee. This isn't a typical episode, but I felt it was important to share. It's a speech I gave last year for Memorial Day. I hope you enjoy it, and I hope it makes you remember what the day is about. Captain Justin Lee, who is a U.S. Air Force fighter pilot based out of Luke Air Force Base. He has over six years of experience flying the F-16, and last year he transitioned to the Air Force newest fighter, the F-35 Lightning II. He served a year and a half defending South Korea, and in 2016 was selected as Shaw Air Force Base Instructor Pilot of the Year. Last year, he returned from Afghanistan, where his squadron dropped the most ordnance since the opening days of the war in 2001. Captain Lee has four air medals to his name, and with nearly 400 hours of combat fighting time. Ladies and gentlemen, Captain Justin Lee. Thank you, Councilman. Good morning. I'm honored to be with you as we pay our respects as Americans to those who gave their lives for us all. They sacrificed themselves for the ideals of this country. It's now our turn to carry the burden. I understand that my words today cannot add to the deafening sound of their actions. Words lack the strength of character that is only found in doing something. Today, all of you are here doing something by remembering the fall. Earlier this year, I had the honor to walk the hallowed grounds of the American Cemetery in Normandy, France. There lies 9,387 American men and women who never returned home from World War II. Overlooking Omaha Beach, the task they were given is there for all to see. Bunkers and cannons still dot the landscape, positioned at the top of cliffs they had to scale, while gunfire and artillery rained down on them. The smoke and confusion has since given way to perfectly manicured grass, with white marble crosses spaced every six feet, all facing west towards the families the fallen left behind. The ocean sits just off to the side, with children now playing on the beaches it overlooks. Walking through the cemetery, one thing you'll notice is how close the dates are on the crosses. 18, 19, 20 years apart. These men and women never had a chance to grow old. They never had a chance to raise families. They're never able to come home and be thanked and honored by their country. A lifetime of unlived memories rests below each cross. The graves are not separated by rank. All who fell are buried side by side. The only exception being 33 sets of brothers who have been laid to rest next to each other, as well as a son next to his father. These soldiers had families back home. They were sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. Each cross represents a family who sacrificed those closest and most valuable to them. A generation of families forced to carry on with a piece of them missing. As you continue walking at the head of the cemetery is a reflecting pool, 
with a circular monument rising up around it. Connecting the pillars at the top is a support with the words, this embattled shore, portal of freedom, is forever hallowed by the ideals, the valor, and the sacrifices of our fellow countrymen. Normandy was a portal of freedom, a gateway for the Allies. There's old black and white photo taken in the aftermath from a bluff overlooking the beach. Stretch across the horizon are hundreds of ships. Where the water meets the sand, there are dozens of massive landing vessels that have beached themselves and are offloading their troops and supplies. In the foreground, there's a traffic jam as all these people and vehicles converge and move up the sand belt. <laughs> Overall, by area, the picture has more soldiers and supplies than ocean and sand. Within the month, nearly a million soldiers had passed through that beach on the way to winning the war in Europe. There are 25 American cemeteries located in foreign countries. 130,000 fallen soldiers forever resting outside our borders. These two were once off portals to freedom. As they open, there are always brave Americans ready to march through to defend our way of life. These portals have come and gone and now stand on the edge of obscurity. It is our duty to not let people forget. Whether they fought during times of war, or stood guard during times of peace, these men and women represent the best of America. I know that because I currently serve alongside these people. Some are Division I athletes with promising careers. Others are Rhodes Scholars. Many could be working for top companies around the world, but they choose to serve. They choose to sacrifice their time with their family in dirty, dangerous, dusty places around the world. Weekends and holidays don't exist over there. Right now, there are life and death decisions being made. As the councilman said, this month marks one year from when I got home from Afghanistan. One of the top comments I get is, I didn't even know we are still over there, which is depressing. The background noise of constant conflict has made us numb to war. I'll talk mainly about Afghanistan because that's where I just came from. But there are many Americans involved in many operations around the globe. In Afghanistan, we have nearly 10,000 U.S. service members deployed at any given time. There's also a sea of both U.S. and foreign contractors, many times that number, working to support the bases. The first thing you notice flying into Bagram Air Base, you fly in at night, is a giant orb of light from over 100 miles out. You can't see the base directly because of the curvature of the Earth. You can see the glow like a large forest fire on the horizon. Bagram is active 24 hours a day. Large transport aircraft land every few minutes, offloading their supplies, as thousands of workers then shuttle them to every corner of the base. It's an industrial machine that has been refined over the last 17 years. Most of what is brought in stays within the walls, so there's equipment scattered everywhere. Stepping out of the jet, you can see and feel talcum powder-like dirt that coats everything in sight. It's a brownish fog that stretches up 10,000 feet. During the day, through the haze, you can see mountains that surround the base on three sides, rising up higher than the Colorado Rockies. Two weeks into my tour was Veterans Day. We don't have the luxury over there to take days off, but there are a few small things planned to celebrate. Instead, at 5.38 in the morning, pre-dawn November chill, suicide bomber detonating himself near a group of our soldiers. The blast killed five Americans and wounded 16 more. 
Sergeant First Class Alan Brown. Staff Sergeant John Perry. Private First Class Tyler Lubell. Colonel Retired Jared Reeves. And Dr. Peter Provis. All perished. These men died serving our country. Soldiers like Sergeant Brown, who's on a sixth deployment, embodied the sacrifices these men made over their lifetime. Private First Class Bluebell was only 20 years old. Not even old enough to grab a beer. Sergeant Perry was a talented cross-country runner who left behind his wife and two children. As a fighter pilot in Afghanistan, where the sky is clear of enemy fighters and the ground is free of surface-air missiles, my job is to protect the soldiers on the ground. Whether it's a helicopter assault in the middle of the night, soldiers on foot clearing out of town, or a convoy on a dangerous patrol, I have their eyes in the sky and can rain down bombs. It's a challenging mission, one that takes intense coordination between the soldiers on the ground and the pilots in the sky. The perspective differences often lead to confusion. The bombs are dropped too close, they can kill or injure the soldiers on the ground. If they're dropped too far away, they won't have the necessary effect. I flew 82 combat missions while I was over there. 81 of which I was able to ensure that the soldiers on the ground would make it to the next day. One mission, though, I didn't. On April 8th of last year, I was providing Overwatch for a group of Rangers with other embedded Special Forces soldiers. ISIS had started growing roots in the Nangar province, and they had been passed with squeegeeing from the villages. Dangerous work that involved being dismounted from their vehicles walking through the towns. As soon as I checked on the radio, I could hear a high amount of chatter between the JTAC, who was on the ground calling in airstrikes, and the other support assets in the air. There's a lot of coordination going on due to the sporadic gunfire from south of their position. After a few minutes, I heard the JTAC yell, we're taking fire, extremely accurate fire. In the background, I could hear automatic weapons being discharged, while another soldier was yelling where the gunfire was coming from. Viper, that was my call sign. We need bombs now. Stand by for nine line, which is the coordination we use to drop our bombs. After the JTAC passed the nine line, my two ship F-16s, along with AC-130, started engaging. The AC-130, which is a large transport aircraft that has been gutted and fitted with guns and cannons, essentially a flying battleship, started opening up fire, saturating the fields to the south of the friendly position. The discharge gas is creating a cloud of smoke that stretched back a thousand feet from the aircraft. The ISIS fighters also occupied a fortified compound just to the south, tucked alongside a dry riverbed. It was only a few hundred meters away and providing concentrated machine gun fire towards the friendlies. I rolled in and dropped a 2,000 pound bomb, which destroyed the compound. For the next 30 minutes, the AC 130 shot every bullet it had. My wingman and I dropped every bomb we were carrying. Midway through the battle, I heard a casualty evacuation helicopter being called in. I was so focused on the ISIS fighter that I forgot about it until the fighting had subsided. That's when another JTAC on a different ridge asked how the casualty was doing. It's bad. Not good was the reply. After we landed back at Bagram, we heard that the soldier didn't make it. In the coming days, we found out that his name was Staff Sergeant Mark D. Allencar. 
Mark was a carpenter before he joined the Army. 2009, he enlisted, and a year later, deployed to Iraq. He excelled in the Army, making it through Ranger School, as well as the Special Forces Qualification Course, earning his Green Beret in 2016. By this point, he and his wife, Natasha, had five children, ranging from four to 17 years old. Before he deployed, he promised his oldest daughter, Octavia, that he would make it back for her high school graduation. The last time his family spoke to him was the day before his birthday. They talked about buying a house when he came home. He then said he was going on a mission. We wouldn't be able to talk to him for a while. A week later, Natasha and the children had just returned home from soccer practice when two men in uniform showed up at their doorstep. When she answered the door, they told her that her husband had been killed in action. Still in shock, she had 24 hours to get the kids and fly to Dover Air Force Base in Delaware, where they stood silently as Mark's body was returned home on a military flight. We were always there before to meet him and hug him, and we were going to do it the exact same way after he sacrificed his life, she said. Unfortunately, Mark was not able to keep his promise to his daughter to attend her graduation. But on May 25th, 80 Green Berets, so as many of their spouses and children, showed up at this ceremony to support Octavia. Octavia's grandmother said afterwards, it was one of the greatest moments in my life. When her feet touched those steps on the way to the stage, those men began to rise. And then they let out this roar like she had scored the winning touchdown. My grandbaby had scored the winning touchdown. Memorial Day is a day to remember the fallen, to honor them. A day to express our gratitude. And a day to ensure that we're taking care of their families. Thank you.